0: salutations everyone you are now listening to the 24th episode of the cult spark podcast in case you don't know this is a podcast where we discuss entertainments of the cult and geek varieties we have three topics on the agenda tonight we are going to devote most of our time to talking about the film batman v superman dawn of justice which opened last weekend took a critical drubbing but still made 166 million dollars at the box office anyway we're going to share our feelings on that movie and talk about where Warner Brothers should go from here. We are also going to spend a bit of time on Sean Parker's Screaming Room, a proposed service which would allow movie fans to watch new releases from the comfort of their own home, although with a steep price tag attached. And at the end of the episode, we're going to chat a little bit about the now greenlit Indiana Jones 5 that Disney and Lucasfilm have committed to making. But first, let's fill you in on who you're listening to in this episode. My name is Bob Taylor, and I write about film at cultspark.com. You can head there right after you finish listening to this to read my print review of Batman v Superman. And joining me tonight is a familiar voice to our regular listeners, Mr. Stu Smith, who could probably run the show on his own by now if I let him, but I'm not going to do that. But (laughs) Stu, how's, how's it going, Stu? And why would you? Why yeah, would I want to, Bob? You you wouldn't really. It's so much of a hassle. I suppose.
1: <laughs> we'll never know.
0: Not at all, Stu. I, it, I, it's a ple- nothing but pleasure taking an hour or so every couple weeks to talk to you. Not oh, hassle, now you t- now pleasure. you say that
1: you say that now in front of the kids, but um, later on,
0: it's certainly more enjoyable than watching Batman v Superman. I can tell you. That. Anything
1: is more enjoyable than watching Batman v Superman.
0: Anything. So, like, uh, Stu. <laughs> I mean, I I hated this movie. A fact that my print review makes very clear. Uh, Would you kindly share your thoughts on Batman v. Superman Dawn of Justice with our listeners? This one hurts because as, you know, as anyone that
1: has either followed us on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, even listened to previous episodes of this podcast, I have been Batman v. Superman's, you know, I, I have been its champion. I have gone to bat for that thing More than just almost any other movie that I can think of in recent memory. I mean, I have just I have stood up for it and defended it at every chance. And dear God, it's awful. It's so bad. It's like it's it's horrible on two fronts. It's horrible because one, you know, it just kind of takes a crap over all over these characters that I love. But, you know, it's like I wanted this to be good. I would, you know, it's like there's been all this kind of hubbub over, you know, there being some kind of conspiracy about critics uh, giving it a bad review or whatever uh how there's some kind of you know critical <laughs> critical high mind or whatever but it's like i i went into this wanting to like it i i gave it every opportunity to win me over and, and, and you were you were a huge fan of man of steel correct right yeah huge fan of man of steel still love man of steel uh you know I, and it it i mean that's another way that it it kind of rubs me so raw is that you know man of steel i think had so much potential to go in so many great directions and really give us an interesting, great Superman. Uh, And then this movie just totally wastes all of that goodwill, all of that opportunity. I mean, just everything.
0: Man of Steel, is. I didn't like it, is... Nearly as much as you did, although I'm somewhat positive on that film. But it's the type of film where you, w- when it's over, you're like, that was pretty good, but I can see where this could get really good with the next one, with the sequel. Right, exactly. But instead, they go in the reverse direction.
1: Well, it's just it, – that's what kind of one of the the most baffling things about this movie is that, you know, the entire point of, of Man of Steel was, you know, does Clark – uh, choose to become a hero? Does he uh you know, use his powers for good uh, you know and not to lord himself over people you know will will humanity accept him when he finally uh you know reveals himself in his fullest form uh, and the answer to all of that was a resounding yes i mean that that was literally the entire point of the movie and so Batman v superman especially from you know from the superman part of it it's just it's two and a half hours of wheel spinning because it just deals with those same exact issues all over again you know for, and it just for absolutely no reason none there's no reason at all
0: what do you think is the single biggest problem with this film and i'm going I'm to give you some things to pick from because these are problems that i had with it problems i know you've said you've had with it and some of the problems that have been singled out by you know other reviews i've read and stuff but so here are your options the general tone which is dark and heavy and brooding and doesn't allow for much in the way of fun um less than ideal versions of the two main characters including a mopey superman and murder machine batman um lex just lex <laughs> just that is <laughs> just the just the disaster that is lex luthor in this movie No, that's fair or the or, or the somewhat sketchy plotting where you know lex's plans make no sense and how one scene runs into another makes no sense and we're not really sure what wonder woman's doing here and there's sort of like uh, you know, plot threads that you try to follow through the movie, like them trying to frame Superman by shooting a bunch of terrorists. I mean, it's, there's lazy plotting in this movie. So which which of the – first of all, would you agree that all of these are problems? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. which one is the most heinous? Which one hurts the film the most?
1: Honestly, well, it, it's so hard to pick because I think if you get – I mean, other than, other than Lex being terrible, I think if you fix – any one of those things, it makes the movie exponentially better. Right. Um, you know, I mean, you, you fix the, the plotting and the editing and stuff, and it become feels that much more coherent. Uh, it feels like a film and not just kind of a, you know, a forward progression of scenes uh, that only feel loosely connected to each other in some way. You know, then it, then it at least has a nice flow to it, and, and you can kind of, you know, at least get it on its vibe or whatever. And the dour tone, I mean, that I can kind of get. You know, I can. You can at least excuse it because it's like, oh, okay, well, look, here's here's the storm before the calm. You know, you see. Uh, by the way, we're going to be getting really into spoiler territory here, so if you have not seen the movie and you were spoiler averse, uh, you know, avert your ears. Um, you know, this this is the 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 storm before the calm, and you know, you have these heroes that are working through these, you know, their personal demons and their uh, you know their insecurities and and just kind of their own problems and stuff before they realize, hey, we we have to be better because you know we need to serve people, you know we need to be heroes, and that's essentially kind of the uh, the conclusion that Batman comes to at the very end when he's talking to to uh, Wonder Woman uh, when he says, you know, I failed him in life, I won't do that in death, and you get the the sense that in a completely unearned way. You know, Batman has learned from Superman's uh, example. What that example is, I have no idea. But he's clearly inspired by this guy who, you know, who gave his life to be a hero, uh, and he wants to be better. Um, you know, so I, I can get all, I can get along with that that dour tone because it's it's clearly worth You know, it's trying, it's failing, but it's trying to, to go to something uh, to something not so dark. What really ruins this for me is that it just it fails these characters at every single turn. Right. Every, at every turn, every chance that, 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 you know, that they're given to, uh, to give us something and to show us something new or some kind of new insight, or even just present these characters as we know they should be. It doesn't do it. And it often goes the opposite direction.
0: Here's a, as far as tone, here's my thing. I don't mind if they're going for a darker feel than what Marvel is doing. Sure. And I'm of the belief that some comic films can can be darker and have that heavier tone. I mean, even Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy sort of now in retrospect gets some criticism for taking it a little too dark and dour. But I think it works in those movies, at least the first sure. one. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Well the, the problem the problems with the Dark Knight Rises are not tone. No, no. So two things here. One, I, I don't necessarily think that tone can be cut and pasted onto Superman as they've tried to do. A little a little bit with Man of Steel and a lot with this movie.
1: Well Man Man of Steel was Man of Steel was like was somber. Yeah. It wasn't oppressive the way that this movie is. Right. Like you know, Man of Steel was kind of like it was it wanted you to be in awe of this guy, right? You know, it, it really it treated him like a god, and so you know it, the the movie wanted you to to be, uh, you know, just almost have this sort of reverent uh,
0: approach to it in which a way, which I'm not a huge fan of, because no, I'm because I'm not, part of the appeal of the character is that Superman does have this innate humanity, even though he is not human or from planet Earth, he feels like he very much belongs with us.
1: Right. Well, and that's, you know, I I think that it But works. not
0: in these films. I
1: think that it works overall in Man of Steel. I didn't want them to continue that in whatever sequel it had because it's like, okay, he's chosen to truly embrace humanity. Let's run with that. The you other, know?
0: My, my other thing with the tone is that part of what should be the big appeal of bringing Batman and Superman together and putting them in the same movie is that there's competing tone there or, right. or conflicting tone and you sort of have batman's darkness and pessimism bumping heads with superman's lightness and optimism and if you you go back to any classic world's finest batman super team up either either from the comics or any of the animated shows or movies that's a big part of it how these two very different characters sort of relate and how their friendship works and i feel like all of that is just jettisoned in, in in this movie well, in, it's, in favor like, of two characters who sort of oper, operate in the same exact dour, dark headspace. And then there's no fun to be had in bouncing them off each other.
1: Right. I mean, you just, you have Batman who's just this gigantic asshole. <laughs> huge. I mean, huge asshole Batman. Huge.
0: Huge asshole Batman. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, gee, he's just this awful guy. And then Superman just is, you know, he's just kind of. He's not really mean to people, um, you know, but he's, he's definitely kind of aloof in, in a way that, that doesn't work. And he's a,
0: he's, a, he's a huge jerk to Batman, too, you know? I, I like, mean, Superman feels like a very conflicted character, conflicted with himself, conflicted with his destiny and what he should be doing with his life, which, again, in Man of Steel, it kind of works, Right, well, but once you've you've extended that into a second film, it becomes totally different from the character you're adapting.
1: It it makes sense given you know, given what they were trying to go with for Man of Steel. Uh you know, just kind of this you know, what if you really were forced to make this decision of, you know, okay, decide you have almost unlimited power, decide what you're gonna be. Uh, and you know
0: there's always that argument about how you know what's wrong with a different take on a character or or what's what's wrong with looking at a character from a different angle and i say okay that's fine but one if you're going to do that it needs to be successful and two i mean we haven't had i mean even if you take superman in his classic sense we haven't had a superman movie that really works great in a long, long time. I mean, maybe even decades. since the original Superman, the movie. So it's like, you know, m- before we start veering away from what people right. love about this character too much, uh, you know, maybe let's remind people why we love him in the first place. Cause it's been a long time since one of these Superman movies has unconditionally right. worked.
1: Yeah. So but, to me, I mean, that, that really is kind of the biggest problem here is that, you know, there, there is no contrast. There is no, right. There is no there, there, if you will. Uh, because it's just, it's just two guys that, you know, <laughs> that are just jerks to each other. And, you know, it, and, and, and that kind of, and that turn on a dime too. Cause like, you know, it's toward the end and, and Superman's like, oh, Batman has to go. He's got to be out of the picture. And then suddenly for seemingly no reason, he's like, I have to go to Gotham to convince him to help me.
0: There are so many, from a plot perspective and a character motivation which perspective, which there are so many things I don't understand in this movie. Well, it's
1: like so it, that part doesn't even make sense. Like, what in the world is Batman gonna do to help you in this in this situation?
0: I, I mean, I, I don't understand why Lex is trying to get Batman and Superman to fight at the same time he's creating Doomsday. I don't even understand why Lex is interested in Batman overall at, at overall at all. I don't or even, or I, even. I don't Superman. understand why, right, I, i mean superman i guess you can say well i feel like lex has this belief that nothing can usurp humanity that the mere fact that humanity's threatened by a different species runs well, that, that's like
1: that's the general uh i mean that's that's kind of like lex says he's established now right but there's nothing in the movie that speaks to that there's a there's literally one line toward the end right before you know lex and superman off to fight batman about how like you know, his dad hit him and that convinced him that there was no God because God didn't intervene. And so now he wants to kill God via Superman.
0: It just feels Um, like empty religious allegory.
1: though. Right. There's just, there's there's no real point to it. It doesn't connect. It doesn't feel genuine in any sort of way. Um, And so it's like, you know, Doomsday was, was created. He's there. So it's like, okay, let's say that Batman was successful in killing Superman. What's going to happen when... (laughs) <laughs> you know when this gigantic unstoppable monster gets unleashed, and you just killed the one godlike dude who stood a chance at taking him down.
0: Like Lex should have a plan that leads to him gaining power. You know, right. either either over these superpowered beings or the world at large. Like I know you and I talked a little bit online. I know I'm a much bigger fan of. Gene Hackman's version of Lex Luthor than you are, but even as I, I pointed out, it, you hate him.
1: I no no, no okay let me <laughs> no hold on, let me explain myself. I like Gene Hackman. I mean Gene Hackman is is doing great. He's uh, doing exactly what is called of him. He's Gene Hackman. He's great to watch. It's you know it's hard not to appreciate uh, a Gene Hackman performance. I just I hate that version. The, I hate the goofiness. I hate like. No version of Lex, even this version, feels like he would, in any for any reason, be teamed up with these two morons that are with him.
0: But again, even with all that, that version of Lex has a plan. Right, there, there, right. There, I was, that's part of what an, I was going to say. Is there's there's at least an the... end that justifies his means. Right, in and the I first could, film and in those
1: films. Right, and I could totally understand Lex wanting to, you know, have Batman and Superman take each other out if he if it was like, you know, some kind of sleight of hand thing where it's like, you know, distract people with this fight while you're trying to accomplish, you know, something right. else.
0: Something going on in the background that's going to put Lex in a superior position to where he is from the start of the movie. Right, but that never happens. Instead, nope. he's just like this crazy person with a chip on his shoulder that's that's doing all these different things that don't seem to interconnect. I'm going to make doomsday and I'm going to write nasty messages to Batman on this guy's checks or whatever was happening there. <laughs>
1: what, and, oh. uh, and I, it's like,
0: this is barely, not only does none of this stuff fit into a cohesive plan, but it, it doesn't lead. There's no desired result. It makes no sense from start to finish.
1: No, it doesn't. Nothing. Nobody does anything
0: that is even remotely logical in this movie. It's weird to me. No one. So, so Lex must know that Bruce Wayne is Batman, correct? Yeah, he does. But w- we never really find out how he knows that, correct? How
1: or like, yeah. <laughs> or like, or why he even cares about Batman.
0: Right. And then Superman also discovers that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which that one's at least easier to figure out on your own. He has X-ray vision. He has super hearing. I mean, it's easy to put two and two together. There are a number of instances in the movie where he can deduce that Bruce Wayne is Batman, but I'm still, but I'm a little, still a little surprised. Like we don't get that moment of realization. It's not ever touched upon. So it's just like everybody just knows who everybody is, I guess. And it's just (laughs) odd that this is the first time we've ever seen these two characters in a movie ever. And this kind of stuff is just glossed over, right?
1: Completely, completely glossed over.
0: So, I mean, all those things I listed, I, I mean, the fact that this movie has so many problems is what turns it into a not very good movie to a terrible one. I, I mean, I'd maybe slightly prefer it to Green Lantern, slightly. Oh, well, let's do this, Stu. Is there anything we can point to in this movie that we, that we think is good?
1: Uh, yeah. All right, let's do it. You the, uh, well, <laughs> I think, I, if nothing else, um, I am now looking forward to Gal Gadot doing her solo Wonder Woman movie.
0: She seems to have very good screen presence in this. I can't – She I, does. She's not in it enough to credit a, a performance because right. she doesn't really have enough minutes in the movie to call it a performance. But she does have great screen presence.
1: I, I think that she's going to acquit herself well uh, in that film. You know, she looks great in motion. Uh, she has that, you know, she has a good air about her. You know, you know like you said, great presence. Um, it, it was enjoyable. I mean, it, she was really kind of a big question mark because really the only familiarity that I had with her was from the Fast and Furious That's movies. That's the only familiarity anybody had with her. Right, and she's kind of a non-entity in those movies. Uh, you know, she just didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, Stand next
0: to Han and look pretty.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, she has a great moment where she goes out at the end of the sixth movie, but um,
0: there's that moment in Batman V Superman where she kind of gets like knocked down by doomsday and rolls over and like gives a smile. Like she's happy to be fighting again and happy. Right. To be. I actually really like that. Yeah. Moment. yeah I wish, I mean, there's like, that's it. That's the only moment that feels like that in the film. And it's like, man, this movie could use more of that.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that was really good. And then the warehouse fight, um, uh, as Batman is going on his rescue mission, uh, was great. Uh, I mean,
0: it's well choreographed. I'm not a big fan of Batman just filling dudes full of lead one after another because he's shooting them. He was... didn't shoot him though. He didn't. No, shoot he does. Them. He's disarming their weapons and shooting them. He did.
1: He did not shoot them. Well, he didn't.
0: Uh... <laughs> he
1: sh- like he he swings the guy around that's shooting the machine gun, but he's not actually shooting anyone. And then he uses that big heavy hip- gun. Right, chi- if you gun.
0: say so, I mean he's definitely They're... he's definitely killing the dudes in the cars with the Batman. Oh yeah, oh sure, yeah challenge.
1: that. But like in the actual warehouse fight itself, he, I mean he kills people whenever he kicks the grenade back in the uh, back in the elevator, and then when he shoots the guy's flamethrower tank. Right, uh, you know, but he's not like shooting dudes point blank with a pistol or whatever. I just
0: want to point out Stu, that we're now in the middle of an argument of just how many dudes <laughs> Batman kills in the new Batman uh, movie. Talk uh, about things I God. would not have bet on us discussing at some point.
1: See, this this is the thing that really annoys me about about this Batman killing people. Are like, oh, Michael Keaton's Batman killed, and Bruce, and you know, Christian Bale's Batman killed people. It's not really the same as this. I mean, he yeah, that it's technically true. It, but it, it's, it, it it was done in such a different spirit like here it's just like i mean it's not cold-blooded murder but i mean it's pretty close he's just like he just does not care all right, Whether let's, anyone lives or dies, which is the complete opposite of what Batman right. should. Let,
0: be. Let's get nerdy here for a second because I would say it's pretty much the polar opposite of Bale's version. Because yes, occasionally Bale's version has to kill, but it always seems like a last resort in those movies. And in fact, or not, and at least not
1: something that he's intentionally the, doing, or that
0: he takes lightly. Right, so that I mean, if you know, one whole big theme of The Dark Knight, the second film, is the Joker trying to push him across that line, and and right. and Bruce Wayne trying to win that battle without sacrificing his morality, which is one of the many reasons that movie's a hundred times better than Batman v Superman. Now, Keaton's Batman is a little closer because there's those scenes at the beginning where Batman returns with the with the circus performer bad guys where he's like taking their bombs and stuffing it back in their pants and stuff and it gets it gets I mean he's killing some dudes there as I recall but that's also far more cartoony right well
1: I mean and also I mean (laughs) Like you don't actually see the the guy die whenever he shoves the the clock bomb down his pants. Right. You know, for all we know, you you know, the camera could pan down into the into the sewer and the. First of all,
0: it's a clock bomb. Right.
1: (laughs) Like, the guy could be sitting down in the sewer with, like, you know, a black face and only, you know, you can only see his eyes because everything else just has, like, right. soot in his, you know, clothes are tattered or whatever, but he's alive. I mean, that would totally fit within the within the aesthetic and the tone and feel of that yeah, movie. Look,
0: it's like this. I, I mean, Batman has killed before in the comics in some eras. I am – I am no – I have no doubt that it's possible to make – a batman film that's compelling that's good that's interesting where he kills i just i think we can all agree that that's not the ideal version of that character well and here's that's what, here's not what the,
1: you do when you if you want to examine that and that is that's something very interesting to examine like okay let's take a look at a batman who is disillusioned who is burned out who has you know been doing this for so long that he's basically kind of forgotten what his mission was supposed to be and then he just he just kills because he doesn't care anymore. But you know that's something that you explore down the road. That's not the way that you want to handle this character when you're first introducing a you know a new uh, iteration of him.
0: And trying to juggle ten million other things. Exactly you know, with, with the Superman, Wonder Woman setting up a Justice League and all right.
1: Well, in a and again, I mean, it, it, like so much of the other stuff that, it, you know, like at the ending, it it touches on this and you can see what they were going for because Alfred actually calls him out on it. Like, you know, he's like, oh, you're branding people now, basically. Uh, you know, he like he's like, you're look, you're Bruce, you're getting too close to the edge here. You're you know, you're you're losing sight of stuff. But it just it never goes anywhere because it's never touched on again
0: and there's the whole branding thing which I also don't understand where 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 Batman is branding bad guys with his logo knowing that they're going to be murdered in prison which is not well something... that that in and of itself makes no
1: sense and why would I... being branded by batman
0: right if, if i
1: if i it shouldn't that be like
0: a badge of honor right. or something If i was a gotham villain and the cops couldn't get me and it took the fucking batman to bring me down right, right. how uh, like i mean i, I, I feel went like against the biggest the batman and i survived right i'd so, be like somehow. the biggest and <laughs> surviving this batman especially. Right. I feel like the biggest That's badass in my soul right. block.
1: You, you actually accomplished something cuz he didn't, you know, blow so your truck up.
0: I think it's too needlessly cruel for the character and Definitely. it makes no sense. So
1: So yeah, so the I'm mean, and really just Affleck in general, I think like the material he's given is garbage, but it's and he does well enough that I'm like, okay, just give me his solo film directed by Ben Affleck already. He's going to do great when he actually has good material to work with.
0: I think he acquits himself just fine, and I would still be interested in a solo Batfleck film, assuming they make some adjustments to the character. He's fine in it. I can agree with that. So we don't normally do this, but it's such a big story. Let's get into the box office a little bit. So the movie is a hit, Stu. It's a hit. It opened huge at I don't know if it's a hit yet. Let, let, let's lay it out. It opened at 166 million dollars domestic, which is the sixth biggest opening weekend of all time. Now, with word of mouth kicking in, we could see a steep drop off from here on out. And in fact, word came out today that its weekend box office haul domestic was 4 million dollars less than expected and that the Friday to Sunday drop off was steep. But even still with that big of opening, the movie should make money. I think it should turn a profit. So uh, well, first let's get into you don't you think it's too early to call it a hit even with an opening that big? I do. Uh
1: I mean, this is clearly I mean, Warner Brothers is banking huge on this.
0: Uh, it's their biggest most important film ever.
1: Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, 166 million is the biggest March opening ever. But, you know, you just you know that Warners was hoping for at least 200 million, if not 250.
0: I mean, maybe not one week ago or one month ago, but six months ago or a year ago, for sure. Right. I mean,
1: they they wanted this to be I mean, they wanted, you know, borderline Star Wars. Right. Numbers. And it's
0: definitely not that.
1: No, not in the slightest.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's clear. I mean, I don't. I think it's pretty clear that this movie is not going to be something like The Force Awakens or The Avengers or The Dark Knight, where there's this great word of mouth that just keeps driving people to the theater. That's not. I don't think have,
1: it even has good word of mouth. It I don't know. It, it, I don't it, know anyone. Like, I know people that went and saw it and didn't hate it, but they were like, "Oh, it's an action movie. You just turn your brain off." You know that that's not the kind of that's not the kind of enthusiasm that is going to get people you know to go seeing this two two or three times you know or even at all possibly
0: i mean let's say it hits let's say it gets to 1 billion worldwide i don't think it gets that oh but it's, it's i really don't i don't have the number in front of me but it was like close to 500 it was it's halfway there already i believe or close to I, halfway
1: i still don't think it gets there
0: well that would be a steep drop off um
1: like i think it it it's got 420 million worldwide
0: okay let's pretend that Warner Brothers makes a small but respectable profit off of this very expensive film. Right. When all, yeah. What, what does that mean? What does that mean for those of us who would like to see Zack Snyder ousted from the DC movie verse? I mean, is that good enough for them or do these things have to get up to like a Star Wars level for him to keep his job and them to keep going in this direction?
1: You know, uh, it's interesting because I don't know. Uh, it's it's a huge question mark. I think well, that you're if
0: dealing the, with such big numbers for starters. Right. I mean, the fact um, that this thing has to make a billion dollars to break even, that's the estimates that's what people are saying. You know,
1: let if, me ask you this. If okay, if critical reception were better and overall word of mouth were better, I think Snyder stays uh, regardless of what ha- happens because at least then you have okay well people at least like this you know they're not hostile towards it but after the critical drubbing that it got and i mean and that is that's what's dominating the conversation here right now you know it's not you know people aren't waiting to see how high it goes they're waiting to see how you know how low it gets
0: well that was going to be my follow-up question let, let i i mean you know warner brothers is reading these reviews they know they're you know they're getting the social media chatter i But, I mean, if this movie does really well overseas in terms of profit, does that matter to them? Or is the bottom line the only thing they're going to look at when deciding that they're going to continue on with this tone, with this vision, and with Zack Snyder?
1: I don't know. It's so hard to say because, like, you know, if this had really – if this had hit lower, if this had only gotten, like, $150 million uh, this weekend – uh, I think Snyder's future would definitely be in question. And really, I mean, kind of depending on what second weekend take is, it still could very well be uh, in jeopardy.
0: And the second weekend will be huge because, I mean, it's going to have a drop. This is not a movie that's going to have, you know. Well, it's a- already had a drop. Like Right, well, it's it but- I mean, for these kind of blockbusters, sort of like a traditional second weekend drop is like sixty percent. If it's if it's less than that, if it gets down to fifty percent, forty percent, you know, word of mouth is great. If it's up over seventy percent, seventy-five percent, you know, word of mouth is a disaster. I'm more curious to see what happens if it's right at that sixty percent. Like if it, you know, it's clearly not catching on with audiences and mass, but it's dropping at a reasonable rate that you would expect a you know sort of a box office hit the drop at i'll be curious if that happens what they end up well because then because then you know do you take the reviews in the count do you say well it you know it didn't crash and burn it didn't really catch on and mass do we err on the side of and no one really likes this movie we better make some changes right well like man of
1: steel had a 62 65 Mm percent drop between weekend one and weekend two right uh star wars the force awakens had only like a 33 percent drop right uh avengers which people you know unabashedly loved i mean that was just that was a hit right out the gate ended up you know i mean that thing i don't know where is it on the all-time grosser list like what
0: it's like top, it's over 600 million it's, so it's got to be top yeah, well, five
1: right it, right well yeah. it's like in the yeah it's like in the top five or something like that or Let's see here. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. Uh it's number 5. Right. You know, and that I mean people love that movie. Uh and it had a 51% drop uh from weekend 1 to weekend 2. Well, this this, is, this thing this thing is going to drop like a stone.
0: This is also part of the reason I don't like just comparing like opening weekends and stuff cuz ultimately right. who cares? I mean, see what right. movie okay. made. I mean, the Avengers well, stuck around forever. Right, exactly. And oh, man, normally I don't care, but it's like I,
1: I don't want these characters continuing to be shepherded in this way.
0: And right. I say that I
1: say that as someone who has defended every single Zack Snyder film up until this one
0: right and we should make that clear we don't discuss box office on the show a lot and personally i don't usually care i mean i like the movies i like and i don't like the movies i don't like i right. don't really care how this? the public feels at large
1: box don't... office here literally holds the the fate of this right. entire universe in its hands
0: right i typically don't like treating box office like a sporting event but the the instances you have to look at it are when you know you're rooting for a specific filmmaker to get that hit so he can continue to you know make film make films or in this or in this case it's important again as you just mentioned you know they're going to be making a lot more dc superhero films and i would like to enjoy them (laughs) so you know in in as far as the direction these things are going to end up taking it's very important to sort of watch how this movie is received and how it does because that's going to point toward whether changes we would like to see happen take place (sighs) That's why for, well, let me ask you this, Stu. Let's say let's say this thing crashes in its second weekend and that tomorrow, Warner Brothers fires Zack Snyder and puts you in charge of the DC movie-verse. What, what do you do? What is your plan to fix this universe and turn it into something that connects with all filmgoers and not just comic book fanboys who are going to see it no matter what?
1: Well, the first thing that I do is call up... Uh... Bruce Timm and Paul Dini and Eric Radomski and Alan Burnett and get that whole right, tell Batman Tell everybody the Animated who those people are.
0: Okay, yeah. And get that <laughs> – I'm getting there, oh, bud. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: They, Those are the creative minds behind Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series and uh, mm-hmm. the Justice League cartoons and just – which are, to my mind – some of the best, if not the best incarnations of DC characters ever. It's perfect. It is absolutely perfect, which is why, okay, fine. Screw up Batman screw up Superman forever, whatever. I will have these, these animated episodes that are absolutely perfect. Uh, you know, and that, you know, that, that to me is, is just gold. So, you know, I can, I can deal with, with crap movies for however long. Uh, but yeah, so I mean that, that, That is call number one is, you know, set up a creative meeting with that team of people and then go from there. Uh, But ultimately, you know, it's like you almost want you hate to do another reboot,
0: but you almost kind of have to. Uh, uh, Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are, you know, that's a publicly traded company that has been setting this thing up for a couple of years now. It's basically impossible. I mean, right. as, as geeks who love the properties, that's what we would wish they would do considering but they bungled it so badly. I think, but I think, I think the honestly, best we what, I think the best we can hope for is a severe course correction with these actors and these versions of these characters.
1: I think ultimately what you do, the only thing that you can do if you do want to course correct and change uh, you know, is you just you basically You basically have Zack Snyder get up and say, you know, we are through the darkness. I mean, the whole point of those movies was, you know, putting these characters through a crucible of sorts. They understand who they have to be now. Uh, They understand that they have to be beacons for humanity and for society, uh, and they have to work as a team. And so and we show that.
0: I want Superman to bust out of that casket his uniform, a much more pleasant, brighter shade of blue with a renewed focus in his eye that now I understand what I have to do. Right. Which is, you know, not work against these people, but work with them and for them well, and show and not them just, not just the work best of themselves.
1: Them. Like, you know, I mean, that was one of the big things that, that uh, Russell Crowe's Jor-El uh, was on, right. uh, on about in Man of Steel. He was like, you know, you will show them the way, kal You will... You know, you will you will lead them to do great things. Right. And that was one of the things that annoyed, that just hurt me so much about Batman versus Still Superman. has and not it. happened. Right. Still and it's not even close to
0: happening. Why is Russell Crowe lying to us, Stu? <laughs> asshole. He's an asshole like Batman. <laughs>
1: oh man. So, uh, yes. Uh, you know, so, so that's that's what you do. You basically just you just kind of I don't want to say Ignore what you did before, but I mean, you basically just say, "Hey, all right, you know, we th- this is this is a different uh, this is a different dynamic, so it's going to be a different tone." Um, you know, I don't I don't think it has to be all like kind of silly and and you know, teen romancy the way that like no, it the way that the CW shows are, you know, because people are getting on Zack Snyder for saying, "Oh, why are you using Grant Gustin as the Flash?" It's like, well, this, this, that's not our universe. That's not our tone you know and so you can have a lighter tone without it feeling like a network tv show uh you know that admittedly does have a whole lot more humor right you know but i think you can at least be optimistic and
0: you know just 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 don't be oppressive we can hope all right, Stu. Let's move on to our next topic, and we're going to talk a little bit about the screening room, which is a new venture proposed by Sean Parker, or as you know him, Justin Timberlake in *The Social Network*. And the deal is AKA this: that Napster guy, yeah, aka that Napster guy. This is uh, here's the proposal. Uh, it's a service that would require you to buy a one hundred and fifty dollars set top box. Once you own the $150 set-top box, you will be able to rent new movies the day they are released in theaters for $50 per title, and they'd be viewable for 48 hours. So Star Wars Episode 8 comes out on a Thursday night. You have the set-top box. You'd be able to invite a bunch of friends over, plunk down $50, watch Star Wars Episode 8 from the comfort of your own couch that night. Um, it's been in the news a bunch lately because uh, filmmakers have come out either in support or against the plan. Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, J.J. Abrams have all supported it. Uh, Christopher Nolan and James Cameron have spoken against it, along with a lot of the major theater owners, which you can imagine. Uh, my question to you, Stu, as a lifelong film fanatic, would you be – someone? someone who enjoys going to the movie theater, would you be interested in this service? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Why? Well, why would you sacrifice your the old school going to the movie theater charms to sit on the couch that, and watch a new release for this amount of money? Because the choice to go to
1: the theater is still there. Right. Uh, no one is taking that choice away. Correct. And I will I will okay, let's put it this way. I will will always prefer a theatrical experience. Uh, assuming a couple things. One that that theatrical experience is unhindered by either uh, you know, poor projection and sound, which is something that I run into. I mean, any, anyone, anyone who goes to a non-prestige art house theater and even occasionally at those places, I mean, you're just, you're going to run into technical problems uh, at the theater.
0: Not to mention you know, screaming children, screaming children, people texters, texting,
1: yeah. uh, you know, people getting up and moving around all the time uh you know rising ticket prices terrible seats i mean just you know there's always there's always going to be something uh that can detract from your experience you know when you're paying you know when you're paying good money to go see this thing uh but the other thing is is that you know i can't go see everything right uh in the theater yeah, I mean it's one thing for for James Cameron and Christopher Nolan to say, "Oh, well it's it's the integrity of the experience and you know these films are made to be seen large and in a theater and it's like, okay, yeah, you know what, they are, that's true, but you guys have no trouble seeing anything and everything. Right. new movies, old movies, uh indie films, prestige pictures, you guys can probably set up private screenings anywhere you want. You can probably have movies delivered to your home theater that are better than some of the theaters that I go watch movies at regularly. You know, and if and if I could be like that where I could see everything in the absolute ideal way every time, I would. You know, but I'm lucky if I get Half the Oscar contenders to show up in the town that I live in, uh, several months after they show up, maybe a month or two before the Oscar season. Mm-hmm. Uh, every now and then we'll get some kind of indie stuff, but I mean certainly not the way that you know New York and L.A. or whatever other kind of market gets those movies. Like you know, I mean usually, usually I have to wait for that stuff to show up on Netflix anyway. So it's like if it's a choice between I wait a year for it to show up streaming somewhere or I, you know, can watch it when everybody else is talking about it, you know, when all the critics are talking about it and, you know, people who are lucky enough to see it are talking about it, if I can see it then great, that's fantastic. I'm going to be watching
0: it at home anyway. Might as well see when everybody else is. Stu, our podcast would be better if we could access all these movies immediately from our own house. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Is that what you're telling me? No,
1: that's, that is 100% what I'm saying. Like the theatrical experience is not going away. Uh, this is not usurping that and heck if anything if all these you know jerks who go and text at the movie realize that they can watch this stuff at home maybe that'll
0: make my theatrical experience better because everybody's staying home and I can get the theater to myself still I'm gonna argue that our podcast couldn't be any better and I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <but no. laughs> seriously I mean it sounds interesting I I mean I I love going to the theater I mean I I have a pretty decent, I'm not rich. I don't have a great home theater setup, but it's decent. I, you know, I got a nice 50-some inch TV. I have 5.1 sound setup. up. I have a pretty good home theater experience at my house, but I still love, you know, going to the movie theater where you get the big screen and the volume cranked and all that. This, although everything you say is true, dealing with, you know, something goes wrong with the projection. Although that happens less now if you're at a nice, if you're at a nice cinema. With You know, digital screening and top of the line equipment, not really an issue. But dealing with crowds and kids and all that, sure, there's definitely an appeal to being able to watch stuff at home. Um, And it would be nice to have a choice because, like you said, I could make sure I go see Deadpool on the big screen, but yet maybe watch something like The Witch at my house. I think the price is a bit of an impediment here. Um, it is. $150 for a set-top box that's going to do nothing else. I mean, maybe there's a Netflix app or something, but it realistically, you're not going to need that box for anything other than to rent films, which are then going to cost an additional $50 per title. So you're looking at $200 invested just to get to watch your first screening room film. Now, I understand why there's putting the price at that i mean part of it's because it's a brand new movie and part of it's because they're almost treating this like the old ufc pay-per-view type thing where you invite friends over and sort of a communal experience new star wars film comes out invite you know 10 of your friends over and then when you split the cost up it comes out to you know what a movie ticket's going to be or maybe even cheaper i don't know how many people can fit that many people comfortably in their living room but some folks can but uh I don't know. That's that's still that's still a lot of money.
1: It is a lot of money, and you know, I mean, I, and and again, it kind of goes back to the whole thing of this isn't this obviously isn't something that you're going to do all the time, right? Uh, you know, this this is something that you know you'll you'll want to do for I don't know something that your friend you know you know that you and your friends want to be rowdy around and maybe. Uh, you know, make fun of or whatever. Which I mean, that'd be great. I mean, <laughs> there are plenty of movies that you'd love to just kind of, you know, mess around with uh, as you're watching it. You know, you get five friends, you, everybody take you know, pays ten bucks or whatever. Right. Uh, and it's fine. I mean, that, that's I mean, that's about the price of a movie ticket unless right. you live in New York City or something. Right.
0: This is true. We'll see if it happens. This is something that's you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's from what I've read. It's not close to production or happening yet. But on the drawing board, let me ask you this, Stu. Are movie theaters doomed? Because this is sort of one more thing where where word of this screening room venture leaks out and you get all the news articles starting up, oh, one more death knell for movie theaters. And, you know, that prediction has been around for a while now that movie theaters are going to go away. And theaters have responded with, you know, 3D and IMAX and some of these things that – i guess help keep them alive do you i mean do you think we're gonna have movie theaters for the rest of our lifetime or do you think that sort of easy digital content straight into our houses is really going to make them obsolete you know it's really
1: hard to say because you know on the one hand i mean uh, people turn up in droves for stuff that they want to see you know i mean people lined up for Star Wars people yeah. you know people will get you know and there are even big lines for Batman versus Superman I mean people yep. people were excited to see this movie uh so I mean I I don't know if anybody can say that theaters are going to die or they're going to live forever but I mean they'll certainly be around for the foreseeable future I I think the real question will be is you know we have this generation of of kids who is who are used to watching, you know, TV and movies and stuff on a phone, right? You know, are they gonna care? I mean that that to me will be the bigger uh, bigger factor in whether or not the theatrical experience lives or dies than you know some set top box that lets you watch uh, movies from the comfort of your own home.
0: Oh, and I'm an old-fashioned fogey who hates that shit, too. Like, I have, friends, oh, I, do too. I, I have friends who, like, watch Game of Thrones on their iPad. It's like, no, no, that's not how you watch Game of Thrones. What are you right. doing?
1: <laughs> well, like, you know, I mean, I'll do that in a pinch. Like, you know, when I was I was um, at my in-laws' sure. house over Christmas you know, a couple years ago, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'll watch half of Marco Polo on the Kindle Fire that I, HD that I just got, which that's a terrible show, by the way. Do not invest time in that.
0: Thanks for the warning.
1: <laughs> I won't do. There's a reason, you know, nobody really talks about it. Why it's not getting a second season. I had
0: totally forgotten about it until you just brought it up.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a way bigger, uh, X factor kind of in, in this whole, uh, fate of movies thing, than something that just gives you another
0: option. Okay. Well, Stu, let's spend our last 10 minutes talking about a film that we may all be watching from our set top boxes In 2019, (laughs) and that is the fifth Indiana Jones film, which Disney and Lucasfilm has announced will be directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Harrison Ford, and is slated to open on July 19th, 2019. Now, Stu, the day that this was announced, you claimed online that you were doubtful this film would ever actually get made. Are you standing by that statement? I'm still kind of doubtful.
1: A lot can happen. Uh, between now and when shooting is supposed to
0: start. Even though Harrison Ford's on Kimmel talking about it, and they made the big announcement. And... It's still possible. It's st- Look, some of this is blind hope,
1: because I don't <laughs> want don't this want movie it. to happen. Go away, Indy 5. Right. Like, it's like nobody... Who wants this movie? The only people that want this Not movie are I. Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford and Disney.
0: Listen, Raiders of the Lost Ark... Is one of my three favorite films of all time, and it might be it might be number one. It it, it's hard to pick but it 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 might be my favorite film of all time. And I don't want this. I mean, largely because of Crystal Skull, which is Batman v Superman levels of terrible. I don't know. I'd almost rather i'd I would almost rather watch Crystal uh, Skull again than uh, Batman v Superman. That's close, but uh, look, here is the thing: there is no easy way to make another Indiana jones movie there's no easy way to do it you only have two options you can recast indy and do a full-on reboot either with spielberg directing or maybe spielberg in a producing capacity and someone else taking over behind the camera or you go on another adventure with harrison ford who's now approaching his mid-70s who who it, which didn't really work six years ago or whatever it's been since Crystal he Skull is came
1: now out. 10 years old 10 years older than sean connery was
0: right. right when last crusade came out so neither of these options is super appealing but assuming that Disney's going to make another indiana jones film no matter what which they are are they choosing the correct option here is it th- does the movie have a better chance at success giving harrison ford one more shot regardless of his age or would it have a better chance at success trying to reboot it with a different actor playing the character, which I am flat out admitting is also a extremely risky proposition. But if they have to go one of these two ways, are they picking the right ones, Stu?
1: The only, I think the only way that th- this works, because it's, I mean, it's obvious Disney wants to make more Indiana Jones movies beyond this one. The only way that it works is if you frame it the way that they framed, you know, like some of the uh, young Indiana Jones Chronicles episodes, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, it's old indie uh, telling a story or whatever. So you kind of have, you know, you both give Ford one last hurrah, uh, you know, maybe have some kind of, you know, pre-credits action scene or whatever involving him. So you can see him in action one last time. But the bulk of the movie is him telling a story about him in his younger days, so you can just roll into the rebooted uh, indie trilogy or whatever after that. See, I've... Uh, Because I just, I don't see, like, I don't see how you do a tried-and-true Indiana Jones movie with a 74-year-old Harrison Ford. You just, you can't do it.
0: I, I... I can tell you this, I don't love that suggestion, and I've seen it made by others. And I've I don't read I don't either. But it's it. the only plausible you know, way to do it. There's there's this concept out there of well maybe it's just Harrison Ford in a wraparound segment, or maybe you bounce back and forth between two time periods, so it's old indie and young indie working on a on a adventure that's tied together somehow. And the thing is, if you're doing that, you're already casting a new actor as Indy, and you're already setting yourself up. For for a reboot where two years from now or three years from now, there's going to be an Indiana Jones movie without Harrison Ford at all. So if that's the direction you're going in, just do it. Just do the full reboot now. And, you know, I've argued about this online. Replacing Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones might be impossible. It might be. I think
1: it is impossible.
0: The time when you could have done that has long since passed. And if and when they attempt it, it's highly likely it will be a disaster. But, Indiana Jones was always meant to be George Lucas and Steven Spielberg's answer to James Bond or an American James Bond. That's what it was meant to be. And it works for Bond. If I had to pick one of these two routes, I think I'm going with the reboot. I think you have a slightly better chance of that working and capturing sort of the glory of Indiana Jones and the feel of that kind of adventure. Because I mean, I look, I love Harrison Ford. I think he did a great job in The Force Awakens. I thought he was fantastic in that movie. But, I mean, the character of Indiana Jones... You can practically
1: hear his joints creaking every time he moves. Han
0: Solo is a different character from Indiana Jones, man. And if you take away the physicality of that character, and a lot of the physicality was already taken away, I think, in Crystal Skull, and now we're so many years past that, you really lose the character. So, again, either way is probably a train wreck. But the one chance it has through the one the the one hope is that Spielberg knows how bad Crystal Skull turned out. And that now that Lucas is retired and apparently not going to be involved in this film, that Spielberg is making it his mission to give us a great final Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones film as an apology for what we got last. That's You know
1: you know what would be the best apology? To just say, look, guys, Crystal Skull was terrible. We're all sorry. Just you know, only watch Last Crusade now and let him ride off into the sunset. Like, how do you
0: make another movie after Last Crusade? Literally, rides off into the sunset. I uh, some days, some days I still pretend they did. But Stu, I think it's time for us to ride off into the sunset. Me and you, side by side on horseback. Until next time. (laughs) What'd you say?
1: Only until next time. Am oh. I riding behind you, or are we on our own horses?
0: Oh no, you're you're. <laughs> or, no, we're separate. You are behind me, but separate horses. You're trailing. You're oh, that's following.
1: lame. I want to be. I want to be wrapping my arms around you, Bob.
0: As my hair tickles this, your nose. This is what back. you promised me. All right. So I'm gonna have that storyboarded for our next episode, so we can put it up to podcast. It'll make it better. Stu, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Cult Spark Podcast. Uh, everyone listening, you can find us on Facebook at Cult Spark. You can follow us on Twitter at Cult Spark. You can follow me on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor. Stu, give him your Twitter handle. I am at Stu doo. There you go. So a lot of times in the show, we're 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 referencing things that we say to each other online. So the conversation t- sometimes starts there, and then carries over to the show. But if you would like to get in on that conversation a little early. Get some questions in. Be a part of the show in your own way. Yeah, follow us on, follow us on Twitter, and feel free to hit us up at any time. Uh, also, feel free to go to iTunes. Uh, give us a nice review. Throw us five stars. We really like that. Plans are actually already underway for our next episode, which will be coming sooner than you think. So we'll be chatting with you, at you, again soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care.